This last Sunday of our liturgical year, we're given to kind of like an examination of conscience, kind of like what we would do whenever anything is coming to a close, looking back and saying, you know, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What, What do I wish I would have done differently? Or, you know, not in the sense of regret, but so that next Sunday, when we start all over again, our new liturgical year, we can put into form, practice, goals that can help us meet the desires of our, of our hearts. So in reflecting today to say, you know, I did this wrong, I want to do more of that, well, all right. So it's not enough just to simply feel regret or, or sadness over something. Now we have the opportunity to put some goals into practice so that next year at this time we can say, I achieved most of them, feel pretty good about it, and then we can make new ones for that new liturgical year. The examination of conscience revolves around Christ, of course, and what is his place in our life? Have we allowed him to be more in our life than he was last year? at this time? Have we allowed him to be who he really is, or are we still making our idols in our minds, saying, well, this is my Jesus, or that's my Jesus? Are we letting Jesus be who Jesus is? And so our examination begins by just simply looking at him as he presents himself, or as he's being presented to us in the sacred scriptures. How is Jesus deal with his authority? How does he use his authority? Authority in our world, any sense of authority, is all about grabbing, posturing, controlling, manipulating. Is this the Jesus of the scriptures? One who has his thumb on us at all times, ready to catch us doing something wrong so that he can punish us. Is that the biblical Christ as king? Let's look at our readings and find out. Our first book from, our first reading from the second book of Samuel, as always, you know, the first reading of the gospel are the mere images, and we say, we should scratch our head and say, what does this have to do with that? Because today it just seems like they're really not in, in union with each other. There's, yes, the David is being anointed king, but Jesus is hanging on a cross and they're teasing him. Doesn't seem to match up so well. Or does it? So David is in Hebron. Hebron is a small Palestinian village. It's not really small. It's the one that more often than not, next to Gaza, makes the news because of the uprisings that are always taking place. Hebron is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came. That's where they settled and That's where they're buried. The cave of the patriarchs is there. It was once a church. Now it's a mosque. Surprise, surprise. The day I was there, we had a wonderful visit in the mosque, got to pay our homage to the patriarchs, but had to quickly leave because uprising began. And it's very sad that this is the Holy Land. But I think it's an image of what goes on in our own hearts. The uprisings constantly, the rebellion against the, what the Lord has, 
has made clear to us through divine revelation uh, the, the constant struggle to do what he's asked of us rather than following our fallen passions. Anyhow, so David here is in Hebron. Remember, at this point, we're div- our kingdom, our tribes are all divided, uh, north and south, Israel and Judah. David is uh, taking after Saul. Saul is his father-in-law. David has been his commander-in-chief, if you will, running the armies and military and helping to secure the land. Saul dies, and the natural thought is David. But we know from our own experience of monarchies that it has to be someone in the bloodline, and that's not David. So that should get our attention to say, something's different here. So we have to look for what is different. Why are they making him the king? Why do they want him to be the king? And not only that, but there's a a union that's going to take place between the, the tribes because all of a sudden now Israel... Their leader, David's real biological son, uh, uh, Saul's real biological son, has been murdered. There's no one left to take the throne. So this is where we pick up today. All of Israel come to King David in the south and say, we want you to be king of us too. So there's something different about this king. There's a union of the two tribes. And there's a sentence in here that should get our attention if we know our scriptures, which it takes a lot of digging because it's a very short little phrase. They present themselves. And how do they present themselves, the whole of Israel? They say, here we are, your bone and your flesh. That's it. Does that ring any bells to anyone? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Come on, Carl, work with me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Genesis, absolutely. That's what Adam says when he sees Eve. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one at last is worthy of my attention, my affection. So the union of the two tribes shows us that this is not simply about a hereditary monarch. This isn't just about we want a leader or we want someone to to lead us. This is a nuptial engagement. Israel is presenting herself as a bride, saying we want you to be over us as a husband is with his wife. We want to be one with you. This is the kingship of Jesus Christ because Jesus is son of David. So what we see in in our gospel today is what Adam did wrong, Jesus is going to do right. You know, Genesis begins with a marriage. The book of Revelation ends with a marriage. And everything in between is all about marriage, people. This is how God sees himself in relation to us. A not, not a dictatorial uh, monarchy, but one of nuptial union. And it's mutual. It's not, well, we have to do this. No, it's we're entering into a covenant. Do you take this to be your, yes, I do. Do you take this, well, yes, yes, I, I guess I have to. I mean, that's not the way it works. It's a, it's a mutual, a covenant is a mutual agreement 
where we say, I will give myself completely and totally to you, and the other says the same. Did Adam do that with Eve? No. When she was on the brink of temptation, when he, when Adam saw that little snake talking to her, he should have stepped right in between them. But as so often happens, even in today's world, nope. Nope. We stand on the sidelines and say, well, let's watch and see how this one goes. And it went bad, didn't it? He should have stepped in there. He should have taken the blows for his wife, and he didn't. He failed miserably. And so Jesus today, hanging on the cross, being jeered and mocked, is taking one for the bride. He's stepping in between. He's saying, I will give myself completely so that she can live. She is us. She is me. She is you. He's hanging there. We know he could have jumped down from there and slapped him around. We know that. He proved that through his whole public life of doing incredible miracles, raising the dead. Who does that? Curing, healing, multiplying, all this, the miraculous that he did, we know he could have done it, and yet his choice, and it's a choice. It's a choice that you and I make every day in our own vocations. Me to love the parish, you to love your husband, you to love your wife, and then children and the community, the greater, larger population. But it begins with the choice, not the force, not the fear. No one's making us do anything. Jesus himself said, no one takes my life. I lay it down freely. It's complete and total gift. We could very easily read that through and say, what a wimp. This is our God. And some do around the world. But you and I, through the eyes of the scripture, see he's not a wimp. He is standing in the gap. He is the bridge so that you and I can walk from this world to the next. Does this matter to us? That's the examination of conscience. Is his action worthy of our lives, being given over to him, or us enthroning him as king? Not just of the universe, something objective that the church says, this in fact is what is, but rather... No, this is a choice I'm making today. He'll be the king of my universe. He will be the one around which all of my activity moves. He will be my first thought in the morning, my last thought at night, and he will be the one that sets the pace and the pattern for everything else that I'm about. Friends, we're not doing this. We haven't been doing it. That's why the church is limping along right now. The bride is saying... Eh, we deserve it. No, we don't. But because of the covenant, he's given us another opportunity this week to say, as individuals, not just as the public big church, but me, Troy Nevins, am I the king of your world? Or is it just verbiage, talking head, are you submitting everything to me, every passion, every whim, every thought, all of your resources? 
Is it been given over to me and to my, my rule and my reign, or are you still holding back, trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to dominate? It's a great opportunity for us, friends, to really think it through. We can see and note many fine examples of how the church, big, big C, has failed. Failed us, failed herself, failed whatever, failed. What is our role in that failure? Passive? Sitting on the sidelines? Watching like spectators? Or like Jesus, are we moving in to cover up? Not to cover up in the sense of covering up, but cover up in the sense of taking it in. I will be the one that takes in the pain. I will be the one that, that brings in the depression that people are feeling. I will be the one that holds it and takes it and brings it to the Father. It's a great opportunity for us to consider as we be, step off today and move into next week, a new liturgical year. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to really help us. To be honest, an honest examination of conscience some of us have done it very well. But there's always room for improvement. We're humans. So let's ask the Spirit's guidance, grace, and illumination as we move through this week.